Okay, cool. You see, this is so like I was saying, this is like my life hack here. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll just do a quick intro. So, hey, what's up, guys? My name is Dr. Adrian Mesa. This is a uh, Finding Balance podcast. I'm here with my boy Jesse Tarr, who I really don't know. And uh, this is just my life hack to get to know people, bring them in. And the cool part about this is that last just last week, I recorded with this guy named Diego Day, who's out of the UK. This guy has a million TikTok followers. He has 500,000 uh, uh, Instagram followers. He has um, 130,000 YouTube subscribers, right? So then I interview him. Awesome. But just as cool to sit here with you because I see you every day in the gym. You're locked in at 6 a.m., 5 a.m. I don't even know what time you get to the gym. Yeah. But you see these familiar faces over and over and over again. And nowadays, it's really difficult to get to know people. Right. We're all running our own rat race. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's cool to just have people come in and sit down, regardless of what their following is on social media, but just to get to know people as people. So um, it's a pleasure to have you on here, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Nah, that's cool. So um, I know you're a business owner, but I really don't know much else about what you do or what your life is like. I could just tell you, this is my perception of you, just to be real and raw. Okay. Number one, you're a big ass dude, right? You've been working out for a while, um, but you have this very humble demeanor, right? I, I I mean, I see you in the gym and and you say hi to everybody, you approach everyone, and you just you have this very humble soul, and I think that's what draws people to you because a lot of people might see you from afar and you have you're an intimidating figure in terms of just body mass, right? Right. Um, but once you start talking to them, you can almost see that it's like you're a gentle giant. Right. Right. Is that the way you perceive yourself? I think so. I yeah. think so. Especially like with switching up my hairstyle recently. Like uh -huh. before COVID, I had the short hair. When I started getting the longer hair and then I got a little bit bigger working out, I wasn't traveling as much. I can see people, like people would cross the street and stuff. And that's never really happened to me before. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so you're walking on one side of the street and they're jumping to the other side. Right, right. <laughs> okay. And so, but yeah, when I get to talk to people, I can see them kind of disarm. Like, I don't know what perception they have of me. Yeah. But they're like, oh. He's actually really friendly, or he, he's nice, or or this or that, and we there's a lot of common ground that I have with a lot of different people. Yeah, and so it's easy to relate to them. Yeah, that's cool. Have you always been so? You said you just started. You you've became bigger recently. So, but have yeah. you have you always had to, or have you just always been a humble dude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I I mean, I think it, it stems from like you know upbringing and grade school and all that. And it's funny, like I wasn't always big. I was actually small the majority of my life. Okay. When I graduated high school, for example, I was only five six. Okay. And I was weighing about a buck sixty. And where are you at now? Just so people listening can can six foot, like two twenty eight. Yeah, dude looks like a running back. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, big, big change. And I grew a lot of that growth came after high school. And then recently is where I started, you know, breaking up above the twos, two ten with the weightlifting and the weight training. Just a late bloomer all around. All right, cool. Yeah. And I think we we first started talking. So, and if there's anything that I'm speaking about or asking you about that, you know, you just don't want to go there, that's cool too. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I respect that 100%. Sure. But one of the first encounters we had, you were going through a really difficult time in your life. Yeah. Um, And I don't even know how it happened, but you just sort of opened up like yeah. off the bat. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm going through it. We all go through it. You, you made a comment and then we just had an exchange where it's like, oh, no, I, I understand where you're coming from. I'm in the mental health field. I know what that's like right. with what you're going through. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit about, on that? No, yeah, sure. I, I, I tell people all the time 
there's a there's no court like family court. You know, Oof. I've been in different court settings for various scenarios out the course of my life, but family court is a I'll call it a special place where I feel like you just get the worst aspects of people. And as a man, it's just a very emasculating place to be. Mm. And so I found myself in the middle of a very uh, volatile divorce, and I was just going through it. And I, I would see you all the time. I was following you on Instagram, and we kind of established that rapport little by little. And it was just like, I think I opened up to somebody one time about it, and it was just so much easier to talk about it versus mm. trying to hold it in. Of course. And so just talking about it with you just helped me kind of process it too as I was going through it. Mm -hmm. Because I don't have a lot of family or, or friends. I have a couple close friends, but I don't have like this big support network. Yeah. And so being able to just talk to somebody and hear their life experience and what they went through, it just helped me, helped me get through it. Because man, the day to day um, is tough. Because yeah. you still got to work, you still got to perform, you still got to take care of your family. And then there's this big cloud hanging over you and it's just a big question mark as to what the damage is going to be and how long it's going to take you to get out of it mm. you you mentioned that it's emasculating to yeah to to go through this court why why do you say that uh i think at least for my situation you know when you're sitting there and you have a bunch of other people be it the judge opposing counsel guardian ad litem you know whoever it is family mm. court counselor and they're telling you how to run your life they're dictating your life i was in court for 10 months and I think I maybe said two to three sentences while I was in actual open court. You know, there were depositions where I got to talk outside of the courtroom. But when I'm in court in front of the judge, my whole life is being decided in front of me. What happens with my son? What happens with my business? What happens with my money, my assets? And I just have to sit there, you know, kind of eyes front, very expressionless. I can't, you know, make any expressions or talk back or, or show any type of emotion if the judge says something you know, in my opinion, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. And you just have to kind of sit there and take it. And you just have to show up time after time and just listen to people tell you what's going to happen to your life and what you've built. And I, to me, that's just, I've never lived my life like that. So to have to have somebody tell me and dictate to me what's going to happen mm -hmm. um, when they didn't do anything to help me build that or attain that or acquire that, it's like, what, what what's going on here? Yeah. It's a very challenging spot. What would you say was the most difficult time during that 10-month period? Uh, there, was a, there was a period where a restraining order was issued against my former wife. And from one day to the next, I was awarded full timesharing or better known as full custody. Mm. And so I went from, you know, my son was being kept from me. And then all of a sudden, now I have my son full time. But I also have to figure out how to keep working and providing. Mm. And uh, it was just tough. It was just tough because from one day to the next, I went from trying to see him and him being kept from me to now, okay, you have him full time, figure it out. And daycares were full. I couldn't get him into any daycare. I'm trying to find private providers, but you don't just want to hire anybody to take care of your kid. And at the time, he was he was seven months old. Seven months old. He was seven months yeah, old. So he's, a, he's a baby. He's Instant. just smiling, just sitting up on his own. Right. And so he needs that full-time care. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was, that was tough. That was, that was a really challenging period because I still have to provide for him and make sure he's okay, but also try to make it happen at work. And it just, it was tough. Is it, did you find it was, um, do you find that the system is set up to be truly equal? I don't, I don't think so. Well, I don't I, think so. Um, because they, they, they establish trends um, they established what's called the status quo. 
So in my situation, I, uh, I met a young lady. I was young at the time, probably 25, 26. And she was pursuing, or her dream was to be a uh, physical therapist. And so she was pursuing that kind of degree and career track. And I had started my business about seven years ago. And once it started to take off, you know, we were talking and she was really upset that it was going to take her going to school part time. You know, a, a six year track was going to take her like 17 years mm -hmm. or whatever. So I said, listen, well, if the business does better, let's continue to live like this. But now you can go to school full time. What I didn't realize was you're setting a precedent for what's going to happen if you ever split. And so once I got married, you know, I didn't have a prenup. I didn't really know anything of those things. I didn't understand male and female psychology. So I just went in blind. And that's the, I think that's the worst place to be as a, as a man is going in blind to something like that. And like going in blind to marriage. Yeah. And to marriage, just not understanding, you know, what can happen if it goes left, yeah. uh, not understanding, um, you know, the, the pros and or cons of a prenup. I feel like, you know, a lot of times as men, we're expected to be, providers or we're expected to go out there and work and hustle and grow and take care of our family. But then what happens is if for whatever reason you and your partner don't work out and she decides, okay, I'm done with this and divorces you. Now you've set this precedent in the court's eyes where you've maintained a standard of living and they're going to impute income and they're going to look at your gross, not your net. And it's just the way they calculate things makes it extremely difficult to recover from. Yeah. It's, a, it's a catastrophic event for you, not just financially, but I think mentally too. Cause if you can't provide, well then you, you, then you're not, you're not competent. You're not able to take care of your children. So your children start getting taken from you too. Mm -hmm. And you're just kind of left with nothing and you got to rebuild. Yeah. I think that I had a similar, I've never even spoken about this on the mic before, but I can relate to you hundred percent because I was working full time, uh, allowing my ex to stay home a lot more. And then when it comes time to to decide what child this child support rate is going to be, right. they're not saying, oh, both of you have the same education and both of you have the potential to make the same. They're just looking like, oh, this was these past two years. This was your salary. This was her salary. Right. And that's it. And I'm thinking, wait, she has the same degree as me and she has an MBA and I supported her through these times in her life. Right. And now I'm just obligated to pay this much money no matter what. Right. Like the court's looking at this ass backwards. We right. have the potential to make the same, but if she chooses to do less and just because I have more ambition or I'm just chasing, I'm just playing the game differently. Right. Then I suffer consequences of owing more money. Right. That doesn't make sense to me. And I'm sure there's going to be some women listening. Well, you should pay more. But really, I'm looking at this just logically. Let's take away sex. Let's just right. say it's person A and person B. Right. And person A and B have the same degrees and the same potential to make the same money. But person B just decides that they're going to work less. And even moving forward, because even if I take her to court now, she has still remained choosing to work less. Right. And as a result, no matter what, if I take her back, I'm still making more because I'm pushing hard and I'm... I'm I'm growing a business and growing a company. So I might even take her back to court thinking, oh, I, maybe I can pay her a little bit less. And then they're going to tell me to pay even more. Right. So I'm just, at this point, I'm like, oh, I'm locked in for the next four years. My daughter's 14. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can relate. And that's why I asked you, do you feel like, the like, is there true equality in, in the justice system when it comes to parenting, when it comes to that, those parenting plans that we develop? I, I don't think so. I think, 
I think they try to do their best, maybe. Um, my, my view on the justice system is skewed completely. Why is that? I'm, I mean, I'm black and white. So I, I feel that the justice system is flawed. I feel that, you know, the 14th Amendment and some things that are going on are by design. It's not an accident. You know, it's not an accident that the majority of the prison population is black. It's not an accident that they're not getting rehabilitated. Like we look at other countries in Europe and what they do for drug rehabilitation and mental rehabilitation, they actually upskill people. I mean, I'm not saying you're gonna go into prison and become a doctor, yeah. but you can go into prison and you can come out with a trade or a skill and become a productive, you know, contributing member to society. I agree. Versus you, you know, in America, you can go in, now you're a felon, you can't get any professional certifications, uh, you can't get a job at most places, and you just your opportunities are so limited and curtailed, it's no wonder a lot of people turn back to doing what they used to do. It's no wonder that they feel like their options are limited. And then the, the probation, the probation parole system. You know, I've been to jail twice, um, minor, minor charges, nothing, nothing crazy. But even the times that I went to jail, the way that it was gone about, like one of the charges was resisting arrest nonviolently. Mm -hmm. And it was in Hialeah. It was actually here in, in Florida. And simply what was happening was I was having it was a, in Hialeah. I'm wearing a Hialeah shirt. <laughs> it was in Hialeah. Yeah. And, and Hialeah's finest came out and I was just having a conversation with them. I can candidly say that I was having a conversation with them. I wasn't being rude or disrespectful. And I remember the, the, the turning point was, hey, as a citizen, I should be able to ask you some questions about this alleged investigation. And as a police officer, you should be able to answer some of my questions. Mm -hmm. And then that's where it was like, well, where are you from? And, and who do you think you are? And just turn around. You know, and at that point, I'm like, but wait, what? You, you're going to jail. I'm like, but wait, wh why am I going to jail? Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to understand what's going on here. And so I feel like the, the police have an in, insane amount of power. And oftentimes, I'm not saying they're all bad apples, but I'm saying when you get in a situation, their word carries the weight of the state versus you, John Doe. Of course. So they can, th I mean, they, they made allegations in the report that I physically assaulted the arresting officer. I punched him in the chest. I pushed him over the patrol car. I read the report. Yeah. Well, if that was in the report, why wasn't I charged with felony assault and battery on a Leo? Because it, it never happened. Yeah. And this was this was right before dash cams. I mean, not dash cams, body worn body cameras cams, came yeah. out. So, but I was, I was under-resourced. I was 19. I had no money. I couldn't get a lawyer. You know, I, I filed a complaint with uh, internal affairs, but you know, oh, we investigated ourselves. We found we did nothing wrong. So, my, my view, just based on personal experiences, is that it's skewed. So when you go in back, you know, just bringing it back full circle to family court, it's in the civil division. Yeah, they might have tried to get it right. And I think there is a place for it because if people are just disagreeing, there's got to be some authority having body that can make a decision. Uh, or otherwise, you end up maybe with like a Wild West scenario. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I don't think it's fair. Like similar to your situation, I put her through school. And what my reward for that was the court was going to say, okay, well, we're looking at what you've done over the past four years, and we're looking at what she's done, and um, we're not going to impute any of her skill. I mean, at this point, I have a bachelor's degree. She has a doctorate. Mm -hmm. We're going to give you all of her debt, which was about $275,000. She's going to take all of your assets. Wait, say that again? So, so, I, so she you had, had to take on all of her school debt? If, 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 yeah, if we would have finally got to that hearing, but we had some preliminary hearings okay. where they were going over the numbers and yeah, I was going to have to take over 
all of her school debt. Because when they did the asset distribution calculator, you know, she's down here, she's negative 275. She has no money. She just graduated. Now she's opting to not work. She's she's just not working. And she told me in so many words, I mean, I'm not going to put it on air right now because yeah. there's open case, but she basically told me in so many words, I'm not working until I get my money. And then I'm stuck. So we go to this hearing and my lawyers have a serious conversation with me. Like, what are you going to do? Because she's going to take everything you've built. The business was going to get imploded. And I was going to get as, you know, to make it equal, I was going to take on her debt. And that was, that was how the spreadsheet worked. And that's what it was. And Florida is one of the, one of the states where they don't impute skills. Like I know there's some states, I can't remember off the top of my head, I think maybe Texas, but if you were to put your spouse into a professional program or help them upskill themselves, they'll take that into account when they're doing these calculations. What does that actually mean in practice? I don't know. But Florida, it's just like, well, hey, you were a great partner, but you're not partners anymore. So this is what we deem as equal. So no, I, I don't. I don't think it's equal. Yeah, that's bizarre. That's bizarre. You were you 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 said that. I'm going back to the police officers. You mentioned that there's a few bad apples. Yeah. If there were a few bad apples that were pilots, there would be a complete revamp. And every once in a while, a pilot just went kamikaze and decided to sure. crash an airplane. I think we, there would be an uproar about it, and I oh, think yeah. I think we would do something about it. Yeah. But now we have a few bad apples, quote unquote, with police officers, and I think the system as a whole needs to be revamped. And I think oh, it's, yeah. I think it all. And there's a couple of things that it boils down to. One is just the initial training, hmm. um, maybe the age at which an officer has the ability to become an officer and carry a gun. Right. Maybe the level of education, even. Right. Um, I, I really, I'm not an officer, so I don't, I don't exactly know what the training is like. Um, but I can tell you that from a psychological perspective, these guys are dealing with compounding trauma day after day after day. And it's like you go from one trauma scene to the next, and then you can then go to somebody who gets in a car. You can go from seeing a dead child to then uh, the next call, which is like, I don't know, just a motor vehicle accident. Right. And then you just keep going throughout your day. And it's the same for fire rescue. Right. So I think there's some level of compounding trauma that doesn't allow you to process information the same way as everybody else, unless there's a period of processing what you've experienced. Right. Um, there's a ton of um, there's a ton of substance use, alcohol use amongst any first responder. Right. Uh, and I think it boils down to that. Like, how are we processing all of these things? What initial training are we getting? How emotionally aware are we of ourselves? Um, and then the system itself, like don't hide corruption. Let's expose corruption so right. we can so we can do something about it. And so that way there's not all these questions and protests about the behavior of people who are in law enforcement. Right. I think the vast majority, I want to say 98.5% are, are excellent officers who really care about the public that they serve. Right. And they're well-intentioned. But then the question is, when that 1.5% does something, do the rest of the officers look the other way or do they call them out? Well, that's, you know, that's where the like back the blue, right? Comes in. Yeah. And, and a lot of times we've seen where officers are whistleblowers and we see how they get handled. They get reprimanded, they get demoted, they get terminated, you know, they get, they get scolded, they get hazed, you know, whatever it might be going on. So it creates this, creates this system where that type of thing is protected because it's more important to protect the organization versus you know, the, the individuals that it's serving. <clears throat> and so 
I feel like when you have a situation like that, you're just going to perpetuate what we see. And I think the only difference is now, it's not that it's maybe happening more or less. I just think we're more aware because everybody has a camera. Yeah. Everybody has a cell phone. Everybody, you know, there's, there's, we're recorded probably the vast majority of our lives, especially when we're coming outside. So you're seeing things pop up on camera that 20, 30 years ago just nobody knew. Nobody, nobody was the wiser. Yeah, it's not. It's no longer based on public opinion. It's based on public observance of what's actually happening. Right. And we can't hide from that anymore. Right. Um, and I want to stress, I, I, re- I truly believe that the majority of officers are, are legit. Right. And they're really trying to do the best that they can. Right. Um, because I know that people will easily twist your words once you say something. Oh, no, I, I don't know. I question law enforcement. Hey, I, yeah. I question a lot of things, guys. I question religion. <laughs> I, I question uh, church organizations. I, I question nonprofit organizations. Right. I think we need to. Yeah. I think if we want to improve, we got to question ourselves. We have to look at ourselves in the mirror. Right. So, yeah, it's interesting. And, and I don't I, I won't even get into the jail system, but I do want to say this. 90% of the people who at one point or another are placed in solitary confinement are eventually released back into the public. Right. 90%. If we're not doing anything to help the people who are just basically putting in human kennels, we're just stuffing them in there right. for the sake of profit, most people are going to come back out into society. So do we want to take that money and actually invest in them instead of just having some sort of profit organization, a for-profit organization benefit from it? Right. Or do we want to reinvest into humans so that way when they come back out into society, they have something to contribute? Yeah. I mean, I think the answer to that is simple. I mean, a society is only as strong as its weakest link. Mm -hmm. And so we see a lot of the benefits and we don't have to wonder. I mean, we can just look at what other countries, other places are doing and we see a lot of the benefits of, like I was talking about, like for example, in Portugal, Mm -hmm. they have decriminalized a lot of Schedule One narcotics, which over here, you know, might cause a lot of uproar, but they're rehabilitating these people. A lot of these people are coming out with a skill. They now have a way to make money and they have something that keeps them from doing those narcotics, from dealing with those types of people. And now they're coming out and they're being productive. So now the tax burden is less because you're not constantly cycling these people through a system and they're just being a drain on society financially. They're being a drain on their families. They're being a drain on the police force. Mm -hmm. Now this person has been rehabilitated. They're paying taxes. They're adding back to society. They're contributing. They have a skill, whether they're a welder or a plumber or a janitor, whatever it is, but they're able to do something Mm -hmm. and have that purpose and have that sense of belonging. And I I don't like drugs, the war on drugs, right? It's garbage. It's the bloodiest, longest war we've ever been in. And you can't stop it because as long as you can make the type of money that you can make off getting that stuff, you know, from outside the country, inside the country, there's going to be somebody that's going to do it. Why? Same thing. You're only as strong as the weakest member of your society. So if you have people that are desperate and it's between getting drugs into a country or starving to death. They're gonna they're gonna do what they have to do to survive. Yeah, they're gonna swallow pellets of heroin and bring it into right. the country. Like we this got is what people we, do. We gotta get people out of survival mode. Yeah. Not only that, I was just in New York City, and let me tell you something. New York City smells like weed on every corner oh, now yeah. because it's legal, right? Yeah. You can smoke. And but then I'm smelling weed everywhere, and I'm like, man, I'm sure there's people over on Rikers right now on Rikers Island. Yeah. For possession of marijuana. Right. So now it's legal. Right. And, and so. 
people are smoking publicly, but then there's still people locked up for 25 years for an offense for carrying a blunt, you know, 20 years ago. Right. It's it's kind of ass backwards if you ask me. Not only that, I mean, I work in psychiatry where we prescribe a lot of benzos, Xanax, uh, Clonopin. Uh, we I can prescribe a lot of different drugs. Right. Um, Adderall, so methamphetamines, um, and we prescribe it legally. Mm-hmm. So so in one sense or another, I, I'm a legal drug dealer. Uh, obviously, we don't want to get people to the point where we're addicted, and we constantly educate them about the drugs that we're prescribing, and and we try to use evidence-based care before we prescribe them. But all in all, like it's black and white. We're prescribing drugs that some people abuse, right? And some people are locked up for abusing drugs. Uh, I mean, they're why are they abusing it? I mean, I, I look. I don't want to get into the opioid epidemic, but if you guys want to really dive in. Um, and you want something that's easily digestible for almost anybody, you watch either Painkiller or what's the other one? What's the other one? Dope Sick. Oof. Mm-hmm. I think Dope Sick is on Hulu and yeah. Painkiller is on uh, Netflix. Netflix. That alone paints a beautiful picture of what Big Pharma is and in terms of how they have caused a major opioid e- epidemic. And a lot of people are incarcerated for it while the actual producers of the drug who, frankly, just did things for profit, again, just for the sake of money, um, created the epidemic. And they are not behind bars. They are. Right. They made about $4 billion and walked away. Right. So it's bizarre. Yeah. Anyhow, how has it, how is fatherhood treating you? Oh, it's been an amazing experience. Because I've seen you walking around the Grove with your stroller, with your, with your little boy. What's your, yeah. what's your son's name again? Kenzo. Kenzo, that's right. So I see you walking around Kenzo, and, and again... Big dude usually has braids, yeah, and he's just minding his business, walking through the grove. Yeah, how's that life treating you? Oh, I love it, man. I, uh, you know, Kenzo. I think him coming into the picture during that time really saved me. It really helped me from. I never had like suicidal ideologies yeah. or anything, but I think that having having you know that little human to come home to, and he was always happy, and seeing him grow and enjoy just the simplest things in life and everything is a wonder and a mystery and there's so much joy has just brought a lot of joy to me and then being able to be a father to him um you know I love my dad to death I think he did the best he could uh but there was definitely a lot of there was a lot of room for improvement uh and 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 more so than most and I don't want to blast him on air but ju- I'll just say there was a lot of room for improvement yeah. even to this day and so just being able to break that generational curse be present um, you know, not not uh, abusing substances or anything of that nature and just really being able to be a father to him. And I find that the more I pour into myself and work on personal development, the more he benefits. Yeah. One thing he's helped me with tremendously is patience because this little boy will, you know, he'll tear apart my apartment mm-hmm. and, you know, he breaks things and he pulls stuff out of the refrigerator and spills it all over the floor. And he looks at me and he kind of laughs and I'm like... <laughs> All right, son, let's clean this up. Clean yeah, up time. Yeah, you know, yeah. how how do I reframe and show him like, hey, don't do this, but at the same time clean up. So it's just been awesome. It's been awesome being able to uh be his father, be present, play with him, read to him, help him with his language. Uh I'm a room parent at his school, so I'm heavily involved in, you know, his school and what he's got going on from Monday through Friday. And just being able to be involved and be a part of his life. One of the things that parents always say to me. Um, old, young, you know, across every race and culture is it goes quick. Don't blink. Enjoy it while it lasts. And so 
I just want to be as present as much as possible and create those memories and enjoy it because yeah, pretty soon he won't be two, then he'll be three and then he'll be 14 and enjoying the different phases and chapters of his growth and development. And also, you know, my, my walk as being a father. What are some things that you, cause I, obviously like everybody has downfalls and we're yeah. always looking to improve on, on what our parents did for us. Yeah. Right. What are some things that you did take from your dad that you definitely are instilling in, in Kenzo? I think he tried. I think his intentions were pure. Yeah. I think he tried. Um, my dad was definitely a visionary, a big dreamer. Execution maybe was a little poor, mm-hmm. but but big dreamer, big visionary, and trying to be present. Um, so I think just having that, showing up every day and trying to be present and wanting to be a part of things, I think those, those were some good things uh, that I can pull from my dad. Yeah. My dad, and I, I, I've said this before, my dad is, uh, or he's always been a provider. My dad's had a tire shop for, I don't even know how, 35 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, but his his life took place within that tire shop. Yeah. And even, I mean, my dad, Thanksgiving Day, he's going to the tire shop. Christmas Day, he's going to the tire shop. Um, even right now, today, I haven't seen, my dad has been in this office only once because I pressured him. I was like, yo, I've been open for two years. How come you haven't come by here? But as I've gotten older, I realized like you start you start to look at your parents and say, wait, why are they the way they are? Yeah. And I learned that my dad, when he was about seven years old, his biological mom left him. Mm-hmm. And when you start thinking about the development of a human, you start to realize, oh, wait, there's some attachment issues that, that are formed there. Right. Because this person who's supposed to nurture and care for you abandons you and leaves you. Right. So how what does that do for how he displays his love? So my dad's display of love has always been that of just provider. If I call him and I say, I need a thousand bucks, I need two thousand bucks. He has it. He's going to give it to me that I need four tires. I don't have money. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to tell him that, but he won't even blink. Right. People go to the, his shop and he just, they, they say, hey, I don't have money right now, Benny. My mom used to flip. You can't just be, this is a business. You can't just be giving things out for free. And my dad would always say, if you take care of the community, the community takes care of you. Right. And again, his business has been open for 35 years. But the reason I'm telling you the story is that I, I began to kind of, as I've gotten older and more mature, instead of having these, these unrealistic expectations of the love I want my dad to display yeah. to me, I know that that's not the love he's going to show me. Right. I know that if I want to see my dad, I just need to go to the tire shop. Right. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to hug me. He's going to say, oh, what's up? How's it going? Do you want some coffee? Do you want me to get some, you something from next door? Um, that's the way he's going to show me love. Yeah. He's not going to call me. He doesn't know what my birthday is. <laughs> like people might think this is bizarre. Right. But imagine if we place these expectations of the love we want to receive on everyone around us. Right. We're going to end up constantly disappointed. Right. And as I realized like his childhood and what he went through, I said, oh, I get it. Yeah. I understand him. And I'll never get that love from him. So I, I can't paint this negative picture of my dad. I could tell you what his downfalls are for sure. Right. He doesn't know my birthday. <laughs> like. Hello. Yeah. yeah. But his intention, just like you said about your dad, right. his tension, his intentions are good. Right. Um, he just never uh he's he never sifted through the trauma that he experienced. And still to this day, he's never sifted through that trauma. Right. And if I bring it up, you know what he's gonna say? I don't want to talk about that shit. Right. Yeah. I got work to do. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. So I think us as we as we develop as people and we're looking at ourselves in the mirror and we're working on uh, on personal development. We spend a lot more time looking in the mirror because when we start looking inward, now w- the more we understand ourselves and our behavior, the more we can accept people for who they are. Right. 
It doesn't mean we don't have to set boundaries, but we can accept them and love them for who they are and not expect things that we'll never get from them. Right. Because that's just going to create more. I could be pissed at my dad right now. Yeah. I'd be angry at him right now. Right. Just because. Right. So that was a rant, but. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I can relate to it, though. Like, I, that, I think that was a big turning point. I think I went through a period in my 20s where I was, you know, upset with my father. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a there was a time period there where he kind of disowned me because we were we're actually in the same business. Um, and my understanding when I came on was, hey, help me grow this business. Let's have a conversation again in six months, end of the year, and let's talk about partners. I want to be 50-50 with you. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, great. And so I, I, you know, just bust my ass. You know, it was 12, 14, 16-hour days, working six, seven days a week because I, I see that goal and I, I see it's helping the bottom line and I'm getting a lot of fulfillment out of what I'm doing and every day is a new day. And I, I prepared a report and I had everything ready. And long story short, he wasn't with what he said six months ago. In fact, it was something completely different. It was so different that I said, hey, you know what? Just forget I brought the whole thing up. Just keep me where I'm at. I was making $20 an hour at the time. Hey, just just keep me at the $20 an hour. Let's just drop the whole thing. It's mm-hmm. fine. And he didn't want to hear that. So that ended up causing me to branch out and do my own thing. And because of that, you know, typical falling out, you know, family and business, he kind of disowned me. Uh, and I, when I don't even say kind of, he did. He stopped talking to me. I mean, we, we'd run into each other in public. He would like... <laughs> He would like walk past me and do that like shoulder bump thing no. like you see in the movies. How recent is this? Uh, this was probably like twenty, yeah, twenty seventeen. Oh, so not too long ago, man. Twenty seventeen, yeah. and then that was let's say like January, February, and then I want to say like March. You know, maybe maybe not March, maybe April. He had a really really bad stroke. Oh. Took him out. He was in the hospital for like three months. He was an outpatient for like another month after that. He had to have uh, his skull um, opened up and they had to remove a, a growth and then put it back together. And so he hasn't been really the same since. Mm-hmm. He's he's a lot back more to himself now than he was, but I thought that that event would be like a wake-up. And in some ways it wasn't, but in a lot of ways, it, or excuse me, in some ways it was, but in a lot of ways it, it wasn't. It just wasn't. And so I had to realize like, hey, this is who he is. Mm-hmm. And when you mentioned sifting through trauma, I don't think he sifted through any of the trauma. Mm-hmm. Zero. Yeah. Different error. Uh, they look at, I think, mental health like, oh, that's crazy. That's shunned upon. And I feel like also the longer you wait, the harder it becomes to face that stuff. Because then at some point, you have, when you look inward, you, you realize you're accountable for your entire universe. Mm-hmm. And to be in, accountable, and if you don't like you know, the picture of your life, as you're 50, 60, 70, that's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. And so I've had to meet him where he's at. I've definitely forgiven him. And uh I have boundaries. You know, I I I don't I don't get into certain topics. I try to keep it light. I I I love him for who he is and what he did, because it helped shape me into who I am today. But I also know that hey, there's some boundaries here. But yeah, no, I relate to it. He he is he is likely going to leave this earth exactly the same way that he is and nothing i thought maybe that stroke would have been a real wake up and it, it really wasn't and that's okay because that's who he is and you know i love him for it and uh hopefully hopefully you know something something is different but if it's not that's okay too yeah i think i, I mean it's true what you said though imagine at 50 60 70 80 
somebody's trying to point out these things in your life that you should be accountable for. And it's it's so much easier to blame the world around you or the oh, events yeah. that happened to you rather than saying, well, where's where was what was my contribution to that? Right. And I think I, I can say the same thing about every downfall I've had. Yeah. And actually, the guy who was on here last, he said something really wise. A twenty-two-year-old guy, he said, if you just start taking accountability for everything that happens to you in your life, it changes the game. Yeah. And I think he's a hundred percent right. Right. Because if we just start looking at a divorce. Um, what what was my fault in the divorce? At least I can work on. I have something yeah. to work with. Yeah, right. My my business fails. I have something to work with. Somebody leaves me hanging. For, all right, where what's my fault in this? Right. Interpersonal conflicts. Everybody always wants to point the finger to the other person. Right. And if we just all slow down and say, wait, I I, I fucked up. I did something wrong in this. What is it? Let's start dissecting this. What could I have done differently? Then, then now you have some accountability and you have something to work with. Right. Otherwise, we're just playing the blame game for the rest of our lives and we're, we're so righteous and everybody else is wrong and I'm the victim in this life. Right. I cannot stand victim mentality. Yeah. There's a there's a picture online. It's like a meme, and there's this guy. He's like holding his legs, and he, well, you don't see oh, yeah. him. But he's like drowning. <laughs> yeah. And then it shows the cross section. It's like just stand up. Yeah, man. just stand just up. Get up. Yeah. <laughs> you don't. And what you said just now, in your life, you are the common denominator. Yeah. In the experiences, the business, the job, you know, the the, the relationships, you're the common denominator. So I I feel like the more you look within, like I looked, I really looked within after the divorce. Yeah. Like take me all the way back. And, you know, this whole journey on mental health, like one of the, and I reframed, you know, in a lot of ways, that was the worst thing that ever happened to me. But in a lot of ways, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm. And I'm, I'm grateful. I've, I've really been focusing on gratitude, being grateful. Cause things, Why do you say it was one of the best things that happened to you? What has happened as a result? It was a catalyst for me really diving into mental health. Not that I was against mental health or had any type of stigma towards it, but you know, where I come from, my parents, like it just was not an avenue. So I kind of had to stumble and find it on my own. Diving into mental health has really helped me understand myself better, which has helped me to understand and interact with the world around me much better. My team, uh, other people, it's helped me regulate a lot of emotions. I become a lot more emotionally intelligent and emotionally mature, Mm -hmm. which I feel like is, I mean, if you as a man can master your emotions, Man, that's that's awesome. That's a that's you know you're dangerous at that point. Yeah. There's a lot. There's nothing you can't do. Uh, can't be attached to the wrong person. Love it or hate it, I was attached to the wrong person, and so at some point, either that person's going to be an anchor, or I'm going to be an anchor, or we're both going to be anchors. But it's just not going to work, and then I'm going to perpetuate the same things that I was trying to stop. I want to show Kenzo what a healthy relationship looks like, mm. not dysfunction. Now I have the opportunity to do that. Uh, I want to grow and scale my business. If you're not with the right person and they don't understand what you're trying to do and where you're trying to go, that's going to be very challenging for you. There's going to be a lot of conflict and friction there. Mm -hmm. So I just think it helped me understand life. It helped me understand um, male and female psychology, relational psychology. I just dove into all these topics. I I never had that uncle or that big brother or that person to say, hey, look, man, this is is how it really goes down. This is what you should be focused on. I just was kind of, you know, go to school. I joined the military, go to school, 
get a good career, fall in love. Yeah, she checks these couple boxes. I think that's good. Good family. And everything should be okay, right? No, like, no, there's so much more to life, to relationships, to understanding yourself than the trajectory that I was on. So I took accountability, like ignorance is not an excuse. And it's hard because if you don't know, how do you know what to look for? You don't know until you know. But this was a way that really opened up my eyes and really has me diving very, very deep into understanding things better, especially before I jump into them. And so I, I think it was a I think it's hard it was hard to see it maybe a year or two ago, but now it's it's been a great thing. It's been a great thing. And how did you dive into mental health? What are you doing? I started seeing a therapist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was funny because so my ex was on me about therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, there was an incident that happened and she basically flipped it against me that, you know, talk about the victim mentality. And then I, I I started going to therapy and I when I went to therapy, I was able to control my emotions better. And I was able to set bound. Like I didn't even know what setting a boundary was. I didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. I'm able to set boundaries. I'm able to understand triggers, diving into why is that a trigger? Now when it happens, now I'm not getting upset. Now I'm not projecting. I'm not taking things that have happened because I was driving down A Street and people were crazy in Miami mm-hmm. into the house or vice versa. I'm not taking that stuff out onto the road to somebody that did nothing. So I just became much better at mastering my emotions through going to therapy. Um, and it had, the it had I don't want to say the craziest effect, but it kind of had a, a back effect on her. I think she thought it was going to make me... I don't know, less than or, or kind of cower into some type of shadow of, of, of who I am. But really, it just made me much more comfortable with who I am. And I was able to do things like, hey, if you're not willing to have a civilized conversation about this, then I don't think this is an appropriate time for us to talk. And she liked that charged friction. That oh, was yeah. Going on. yeah. 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 And, and, and what that would do is, well, why is it on your time? And I'd be like, well, again, I said what I said. It doesn't seem you're in a space that we can talk about this right now. So <laughs> Gee, that was driving oh, your, oh. Yeah. So if if again, if you are an emotionally charged person, yeah, and now you are coming level headed and saying, Hey, you know what, this is probably not an appropriate time. No, we should have this conversation right now. <laughs> right. Well, that's, not the, that's not the time. Right. Nothing is gonna get solved. Right. And 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 so I I think what happened was <laughs> I better understood myself and how to have how to have and handle those types of things. She didn't or didn't want to. And now what she always used to do wasn't working. And so now she's now she's even more mad because I understand. I know my worth. I know my value. I know how to have a conversation with you. And I'm not I'm, I, I would say things like flat out like, hey, I, I want to fix this or I'm willing to participate in a constructive conversation. But you're not talking to me in a constructive manner. So I, I really need you to either you know, get a drink of water and maybe we can reconvene in 15 minutes or four hours or after work or whatever works for you. But this is not the type of venue to have this conversation. And I would, and I would stick to my guns. You know, I think before one of the things I learned too is um, it's okay if somebody walks away. Like I think a lot of times there's this fear and you know, talking about attachment issues. I think I have a lot of attachment issues. Like my mom and dad were just, they weren't there a lot of the time. And it's, was because they were working they didn't abandon the household but I think there was some other stuff that went into it like now they're going through a divorce I think they should have got divorced I'm 34 they probably should have got divorced divorced 33 years ago <laughs> if I'm being honest yeah, yeah no, it's okay. I think they stayed together for the sake of the kids of course but I think that might have done more damage 
uh, than good as they thought. And so they weren't there a lot. I had to kind of raise my sister um, through elementary and middle school and uh, the attachment issues. I think I would get really attached to uh, women because my mom was gone a lot. And I'm, I'm, I was maybe subconsciously searching for that, that nurturing, that, that loving, that acceptance, and it wasn't there. And so I attached myself, you know, a, a girl will, will, will speak to me nicely and, you know, give me a hug or, or show me some affection. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, you melt. Adrian, she's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, she hugged me or, yeah. you know, whatever. And it's like, bro, that's, that's basic. That's, that's basic. elementary school stuff. Yeah. You know, or the, or the, or the you know, people. And I'm not just blaming women. But yeah, of course. People in relationships, you show up and they're, they're showing you their representative. I fall in love with the representative quick. And then a couple months later, when it's not the representative, I'm, oh, well, it's, it's a communication issue. Or, oh, because I'm thinking that's the best I can do. Not realizing like, hey, if that's your representative, that's fine. But that doesn't work for me and where I'm headed. And I think you have to have those principles and those boundaries. And it really helped me reinforce those principles and boundaries. And the crazy thing was, and working with the therapist, it's like, you are this person at work. You've built this business. You have boundaries. You have goals. You you don't take, you know, do you let people just not pay you? Do you let people just come in and, you know, rework systems that you have that are proven? Mm-hmm. No, you have processes. You have you have procedures. There's 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 a there's a business plan. So why are you running your life like you don't know what you're doing? And that was really powerful for me working through that because I, I, I get it like life and business are different, but in a lot of ways, they're very much similar. And I think it gets a bad connotation because people are like, oh, you know, that's all work and no play, but your life has to have structure. You gotta have boundaries, rules. You have to have things that you're willing to stand on and think, things that you're willing to accept and things that you're not. Yeah, Everybody has free will. And so I really realized that like, hey, if, if, this, isn't, if this isn't what we thought it was, that's okay. Like, I'm not mad at you. It is what it is. We gave it an honest and fair shot, but to continue on this track isn't going to work for me. So what are we going to do? Yeah. I think a lot of people, this they have the, the, the most difficult time for them is the point of separation. Mm-hmm. And just like you were saying, it's the same in, in work and in relationships, yeah. in work and in life. The termination of a relationship at your workplace doesn't have to be this blowout fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, mm-hmm. you're okay, fuck you too, I'm out. No, it doesn't right. have to be that. Right. It can just be like, hey, like I've outgrown this place. Thank you so much for everything you've contributed to me, and I hope that you feel the same way about me. Um, but I think I'm going to move on and go somewhere else. Right. We don't do that. No. Because most people start to have this, this animosity towards either the workplace or the relationship rather than just looking internally and saying, wait, I don't feel comfortable here anymore, and that's okay. It's probably... a it's time for me to step out. Right. Most people can't deal with that for some reason. And I've seen it. I've seen it with people that are starting to come to work irritable. And it's mm-hmm. like, you're okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Oh, you, it's obvious you're not okay. Right. right. In a relationship. Is that everything okay with you? Everything is fine. Well, no, everything isn't fine. It's right. obvious. You, you're waking up pissed off. Like, are you? if you're not happy to be here, then it's okay for you not to be here. Let's talk it through and then separate. You mentioned something interesting earlier, which is um, that your parents stayed together for 34 too many years, right? Right. For the sake of the kids. Right. How often do you think that happens and did that happen to you where you felt like this pressure to keep the family together for the sake of Enzo? Oh, I, I mean, 
I, I think, I think one, it hap- happens very often. Uh, I think as, you know, we're, we're starting as a society to wake up more to, to mental health and the importance of it. But I think also too, like financially inflation's out of control. It's, I don't think it's coming down. That's a whole separate topic, but what that creates is, Hey, I can't leave this person. How am I going mm-hmm. to survive? Like I've, I've run the numbers. I, I can't afford to get a studio. I can't afford to put food on the table. And then, you know, there's the whole, if, if, if you're divorced or if you have kids, it just gets that much more complicated. There's that many more layers. Uh, I think for, for, for myself, yeah, I knew Kenzel was on the way. And I, for me, I always just looked at it as, hey, she's just going through a time right now, right? This is going to get better. And I just kept telling myself, hey, this is going to get better. This is going to get better. And I think, I think that's one of my biggest downfalls. That's one of my biggest Your character optimism. flaws. Optimism and perseverance. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. sometimes you got to recognize like, hey, read the writing on the wall, yeah. man. And, and I usually don't make those types of, you know, uh, errors in, in, in analysis, whether it be character or a business deal. But, man, when I mess up, I mess up big. Yeah. Like, I might not make a bunch of small ones, but those two or three, I really make them count. <laughs> and so in this one, I think it was just like, I'm married to this person. I'm committed to this person. You know, this was the plan. I don't know what the hell is going on but this has got to be temporary. Like, this is supposed to be a great time. You just graduated, baby's on the way. We, we bought a house. Like, what, what What could be wrong? Yeah, we're on to, we should be on top of the world right now. We should be on top of the world. Things are going to really start to pick up. We're going to, and it just wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it too was, I didn't want to feel guilty. I didn't want to just throw in the towel and be like, man, you know, F it, I'm out of here. I, I wanted to be able to like, there was a conversation I had with myself where if this doesn't work, I want to be able to sleep easy at night. I want to know that I did everything possible in my power to make it work. I don't necessarily think that was the right mentality looking back, but it has let me sleep easy at night because I did. I went to the counseling. I did the marriage counseling, three or four marriage counselors, and she would pick them. And basically, we would reach a point in the marriage counseling where the marriage counselor would say, well, you know, have you considered this? No, I don't like that person. They're, they're by, <laughs> da, da, da. We need a new one. Okay. Yeah. And I continued to work with my individual counselor. Um, but yeah, I think there was that pressure. You don't want to walk away. You don't want to be that guy. Um, oh, I felt like a failure as a father. Yeah, I did. I, I, that was, I, that's what I went to therapy for for a long time, just right. feeling like I failed my daughter. I failed my daughter, and uh, because I'll never forget, my daughter was seven when we told her that we were we were separating, mm. and I she was sitting on my lap, and I was just kind of explaining to her we both were just talking to her about it. Right. She just broke down crying. She was like, "I never thought this would happen to me. I never thought this would happen to." Me. And I just I was like, "Oh my god, I'm destroying this little girl." Right. Um, but but through it. It's taken. Oh, she's fourteen now, so it's it's been a long time, right? Um, but I, I, it's in a strange way. It's it felt weird because in, in one way it made me feel like I was a better father. Yeah, it felt like the time. It, so we have split custody, and I felt like the time that I was spending with her, I was investing a lot more of myself during those hours, right, or during those days, and I. I would say it out loud, like, or I'll, I said it to therapy once, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm not coming home and just sitting in front of the TV. I, I want to engage with her. Right. I want to have a conversation. I want to know what's going on with her. I want to take her out and go somewhere." Right. Um. 
so I, I remember and then I had four days of me being by myself. So then I felt good. Right. Because now I'm living the single life. Right. I'm able to go out to just go on dates and right. all of a sudden I'm like, wait, I'm I'm enjoying my life a lot now. There's and there's right. some guilt in that. Right. There's some guilt in it because you ended this thing where you had you had these dreams and aspirations of growing this nuclear family, of this beautiful right. family, the white picket fence, both with college degrees, both professionals, right. educated, raising your daughter with love, getting her on the soccer team, being a soccer coach, all these right. things. And then that's gone. These dream, this dream is shattered. But then you feel guilt about enjoying life again. Right. So fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. No, I, I relate to that too. I mean, yeah. Kenzo, he, he was much younger, you know, going through it in his infancy. Yeah. But I remember feeling, you know, breaking down and crying sometimes after yeah. I put him down. Like, man, I failed this little boy. Yeah. I was this 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 wasn't supposed to happen. Now, you know, he's gonna see a uh, ugly side of of relationships and things that I didn't want him to see. I failed to protect him. Yeah. I failed to provide for him. And it's just interesting hearing uh, you know, the similarities in that because, yeah, I mean, the feeling of being a failure. And then also for me, I had a hundred percent custody for almost a year. Jeez. <laughs> so we, we, I mean, it was me and him everywhere. Yeah. We were, we were two peas in a pod. And when, and when the court started to reunify and my custody started to drop down in increments to now it's 50, 50 one, I just, I kind of felt lost yeah. without him for a second. Yeah. Cause it was like, man, I have all this time. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Well, I guess I can dive into this stuff or I can go on dates or I can do this or that. But man, what's he doing? Is he okay? Yeah. What's going on? And that was a big adjustment period for me. But like you said, I, I'm trying to reframe and see the positives. You do have that recharge. And being a parent is tough. And, and even in a two-parent household, being a single parent is, you know, hats off to everybody that does it. But being able to have that whether, you know, whatever the arrangement is, when you're on your off week or you're on your off days, have that recharge. I found myself the same. I'm that much more intentional. Mm -hmm. um, when I'm with him, it's like everybody at work knows, okay, this is a week where Jesse has his son. So don't schedule meetings after this time. Pay attention to his calendar because he's probably got a lot going on in terms of being, you know, mystery reader mm -hmm. or dressing up as Santa Claus or whatever. <laughs> All those little things. Because yeah, yeah. I, 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 you're that much more intentional. Yeah. So that has been, and it's, I go through the weeks with him and he wears me out. And by Sunday, I'm like, my goodness. Yeah. I got a break now. And then, and then, and then I get a break. But what's cool about this conversation as you're talking, I'm thinking people who are in a two parent household need to hear this. Yeah. Because you need to give your partner a break to go hang out with the boys or go to the gym for four hours or go sit in a Starbucks and just yeah. disconnect. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of codependency where the family has to move together everywhere as a unit. Right. Um, and and now in my relationship that I'm in currently, I'm, I'm very uh, outspoken about, hey, I, no, this time is for me. Yeah. You're going to go see your parents. That's awesome. Go tell them I said hi. I send my love. Yeah. I'm going to lay low today. Yeah. Before Adrian would not say that. Right. Adrian would go and in his mind would want to be somewhere else. Right. So now when I go, it's because I want to be there. And it's not because I have anything against where she's going or who she's going to be with. Right. 
I just understand myself a lot more. Right. And I know what I want. And it's okay for me to want what I want. Right. I think a lot of people struggle with that, especially people who are in relationships where there is that, no, you're coming with me. How could I show up to the birthday party with and you're not there? Right. How do I explain that to people? Right. You know how you do it? You say, I stayed home. Right. And whatever judgment they want to have, who cares? Right. It's irrelevant to your life. Right. Unless you internalize it and you place value on it. Right. And I I, I think it's so important. That's that 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 takes just a level of maturity, or at least for me, I was just very immature in that sense. Right. Where I was very concerned about, oh no, I need to be there. She needs to be with me. And it's a matter. It doesn't matter. If I need time, I need time, and it's okay. If I'm working, I need work. If I'm in the gym, if I am at home with a fan sitting in front of the TV watching UFC and it's just <laughs> blowing up my shorts, that's right. fine too. Right. Yeah, no, I I, I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. I think that just like you, former Jesse, it was kind of the opposite, you know, the, the, the disjointed family and all those yeah. kinds of things. So I'm always going to the events. I'm always there. Yeah. I'm all, and there would be like, <laughs> I was so tired sometimes from working so much. I'm passed out at the event. I'm in the chair or I'm on the sofa yeah. and I'm trying to participate, <laughs> but my body's like, hey, man, you need a break. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm falling asleep. And I think, you know, what happens is what we're saying is I, I'm not afraid to be my true and authentic self anymore yeah. from my from my outward expression to, hey, I want to do this or I heard you or, you know, I'm, I'm you know what? You go on ahead and go over there. I'm going to be over here. Yeah. And it's OK because I realize you know, my value. And I also recognize what I need as a person. And I recognize I can't give you my best if I'm not at my best. And if I'm, if I'm not pouring into my gas tank ever, and I'm just always pouring into the other people's, you know, gas tanks or emotional banks as around me, well, pretty soon my, my vehicle is going to break down. Yeah, It needs that love and support and maintenance too. And a lot of that love and support, I think people look for it to come outward. It comes inward. It comes from you. You gotta be your own. <clears throat> you gotta be your own biggest advocate, and you gotta make sure that you're taking that time. Like one thing now, and you gotta make sure that your partner understands that and accepts you for that. The fact that you're looking out for yourself. A hundred percent. One of the things now, if 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 I'm dating or in the, you know the relationship that I'm in now, we understand that. Hey, you, you, how you know how much time do you think should be dedicated to yourselves, and how do you think moving forward? we should preserve our individuality in this relationship. And it, it, it was a mutual understanding of like, hey, I think at least one day a week, that's like your day. It's your day. That's your day. It, you should be able to go do what you need to do, go where you want to go. And if you need more, that's fine too. Just communicate about it. If you want to go visit your cousin in Alabama, yeah. go for it. Go. But I, again, I think a lot of couples don't do It's like, no. it's a no-go. No, it's a no-go or or... or they're not intentional about it and they fall into a trap where, okay, we went to, we went to your parents this week, this week where I need you to come on this double date. And okay, next week it's a football <laughs> game. And, and before it's you exhausting. know it, you've never really said, but Hey, what about, what about this book that I want to read? Or what about, I really wanted to go to the, I don't know, the arts and crafts or the, or the farmer's market, whatever it is, whatever that you're into, mm -hmm. make time for it. You, you, you've got to be intentional. And then I think the other thing that happens too is a lot of times and I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but yeah. people who think from an emotional standpoint versus a logical standpoint, you got to schedule stuff. You just have to. Oh, but that takes out the mystery and the fun and this and that. Okay, well, if we don't schedule it, then it just doesn't happen. I'm guilty of this. You're preaching to me right now. You know, you, 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 
you what, what's that saying? You plan plan to fail, or prepare uh, yeah, to plan. Pre- no, no, I fail to prepare, prepare to fail. Yeah, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. If you if you don't prepare, if you don't build in that time, mm-hmm. hey, I need that time to go to the sauna. Hey, I need that time to go to the gym. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna need those six hours on Saturday mornings. That's like my time. Hey, date night is Thursday nights. I'm not saying you can't spice up the routine here and there, but what you find is successful entities, whether it's a relationship or Walmart, they run a tight schedule. There's some things that happen. There's a retreat here and there, but they run a tight schedule and everybody's happy and it works. So why do we run our relationships and our lives haphazardly? And then look back and like, man, I wonder why she's mad that we haven't done anything in seven <laughs> months. You, haven't, you planned haven't planned it. anything, you know, or I wonder why he's mad that, that, well, cause you're every girl's night and everything you're dragging him to. And he, maybe he needs that time in the man cave to watch the game and chill with the boys mm-hmm. or go ride ATV or whatever it is he's into paint and just, just paint and just have headphones on and just be in his room painting, whatever yeah. it might be. Give each other that space so that you don't lose yourselves in each other. You know, I, I, I'm definitely a lot more adamant about standing on business and standing on those principles because I recognize that, hey, I tried it the, the other way and without it, and I gave it my best. And it was like, man, the more I gave, the bar, the goalpost kept moving mm-hmm. and I could never reach it. And I could never reach it until eventually there was no goalpost. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's important. I think it's, it's necessary for the longevity of the relationship and for the longevity of you as a person. For sure. So tell me a little bit about, um, and I'm sorry to jump. We, we've just, yeah. we've covered a couple of subjects I, and you mentioned, uh, you mentioned business. So I was like, yeah. I don't even know what business Jesse runs sure. really. Well, tell me a little bit about your business and what you're doing, what you got going on. So, so formally the title and what I would tell people that are in the business construction industry specifically is permit expediting. Okay. Permit expediting for anybody that doesn't know is, we're the liaison between either the consumer or the business and the government agency that issues the building permit or license. Got you. Typically, our customers are homeowners, but we're shifting a lot towards uh, larger commercial customers. So your your architects and your big contractors. There's some developers in the mix, but essentially, I explain it to people like, look, you wouldn't you wouldn't go to court without a lawyer, right? I mean, you can. It's your right. Yeah, you can go to you know self legal help and but try to figure good out luck. what form. Yeah, but good luck. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. And and when you get dunked on in court, don't be mad that you didn't know. Mm-hmm. Same thing with expediting. Just the subject matter expert. We know the forms. We know the forms that they don't tell you you need. We know, you know, they might specify in one county that it has to be wet, signed, and sealed, which means they want to actually be able to feel the ink. It needs to be, it can't be a copy. Mm-hmm. So if you come with copies, you're going to get kicked back. You just wasted time. Little nuances like that that we know. And then the big value add, I think, is the relationships. Because we're dealing with, it's people, right? A a government agency is just a collection of people that are issuing permits or regulating and enforcing codes and and laws, right? So, but it's, it's people interacting with people. So if, if John Doe comes in off the street and he has a problem, well, they might just kick him back to the end of the line. He has a problem. They did their job. But if I come in, I'm not saying it's preferential treatment, but they know me. They know how to reach out to me. They know that I speak their language. They're not going to have to spend a half hour explaining every acronym and term to me. So they can call me and say, hey, you need to fix this and this. Can you have it done by 3 o'clock? Yeah, sure, no problem. I'll get it right over to you. I call the customer. They get it to me. I get it to them. Boom, I just saved you. 
So that's that's what we do. It's 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 branched out into recently I became a general contractor here in Florida. Congrats. Thanks. Thanks. And I'm I'm studying also to become a roofing contractor, so I plan to have that license very very soon. Uh, we're doing shorty and performance bonds, which are whenever you're doing work in the public right away, mm-hmm. so streets, sidewalks, you need to post a bond. And it can be cash or it can be the shorty and performance bond. And so I was finding that with my customers, we were just kind of kicking them back to their insurance company, like, hey, your permit's ready, but we need this bond. And they couldn't find it. The insurance company couldn't didn't provide it. Next thing you know, the permit lapsed. So I was like, well, why don't we just partner with Fill somebody and provide it? Yeah. Then there's a design aspect to it, um, you know, the architecture and engineering piece. So just essentially, I started with the permitting, but I want to vertically integrate the construction process. And the long-term goal is to be my own developer, where I'm either, you know, fixing and flipping, or I'm fixing and then I'm holding on to rent and building a portfolio that, you know, can then be scaled up or can be sold. But I have I have that portfolio. So you want to do income. more homes, not not commercial. Uh, I mean, I think I'm going to have to start with homes just because the barrier to entry. But man, the goal would be multifamily. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Multifamily. It's more, it's more, it's more stable, you know, multifamily, you, you 30, 50, 500 units. Now, if, you know, 10% of your portfolio moves out. You're fine. You're still cash flowing. You can hire a property manager because the rent roll will cover it and all those types of things. Single family. If you just have one or two, that's another job. Mm. If one of your tenant moves out, you're 50% down on occupancy. That's a problem. And you don't really have the money to have a property management company because the rent roll is not high enough. So I think you start that way and you build that up. But ideally, as quickly as you can get into 30 units and plus, that's where you want to be. I have my friend up the road. His name is Grant Cardone. You might know him. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. I'll connect you with him. No, it's funny. You mentioned I'm actually I'm actually uh, we are invested in a lot of his funds already. And, you know, I won't say it's the most glamorous returns. I'm, I'm waiting to see if he'll deliver on, you know, some of the promises. So far, he's delivered on all of them. I'm not going to bash him. He's, he's, done, he's done what he said he's going to do. But um, it makes a lot of sense. It, the, the business model makes sense to me. The fund, you know, n- knowing what I know now, there might be some other funds that I look at first. You know, and just anecdotally, there's some other investments I've made that the ROI has been better. But one thing I like about the real estate is the depreciation and the consistency. Like, People might let a lot of things go before they're like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to pay my rent this month. Yeah, that's <laughs> they're going to pay the rent. <laughs> right. And so just having that consistency and seeing how it performed through COVID, through recession, through all these FTX meltdown. Yeah. Like I got burned on the FTX meltdown. Oh, you did? Yeah. And, and there's still like there's crypto I can't get out. It's locked up. They're bankrupt. They're, oh, yeah, you can do this. And oh, that. no. And, and they're trying to, to place it. a value on Bitcoin right now, like 16,000. for Right. I, I saw that and I was like, that's crazy. Bitcoin right. today is at 45. Right. I mean, it's fluctuating between 42, 46, something like right. that. But it's like you're you're placing a $16,000 value on, a, on an asset that's 45 right now. It's right. Insane. It's crazy. And, and, you know, that's a losing fight. I've seen bankruptcy proceedings just being on my side and, you know, we provide service for somebody and I think they're going to pay me and, oh, yeah, I'll pay you. I'll pay you checks in the mail, checks in the mail. Next thing you know, three months later, they're bankrupt. And now, you know, because I didn't know, I, I file and I'm 279th in line to get money. And I see all these big claims. You know, the first 10 claims are over $10 million and he's only worth $6 million. Oh, so you already know. I already know. I'm not it's gonna get loss. anything. Yeah, it's a loss. So you got to write it off. So I, I like, I like the multifamily. I like the real estate. You can leverage against it. The way that he does it as a, as a, 
I guess I'd be a, I think I'm a general partner or limited partner. I'm whichever's lower. I'd have to go back and check. I think it's just a general partner. Um, I can't borrow against it. I can't add the depreciation back. So when you're going to get loans, that's some things that you got to be careful about, because if you take if you take too much of a loss, then if you're the actual owner of the property, mm-hmm. they don't count depreciation against you. It's pretty cool. You can add it back as income when you're going to get credit or debt, and they'll extend that product to you. But your partner, if they're a, a limited partner, they don't do that. Mm. They're like, oh, no, you took that loss. You shouldn't have taken that loss. But on the, on, the, on the front end, you don't have to pay that tax bill. So it's like you have to kind of plan ahead and weigh out what do you want to do in that upcoming year. And do you want to take the loss up front and have the tax savings, or are you looking to be able to have more access to debt? Yeah, I I, I want to get into real estate myself. I have my first rental property, which is pretty cool, because um, it's just residual income, right? And then you know you're you're building equity. Somebody else is paying off the mortgage, and then you get a, a check every month, basically. I mean, it's just it makes sense to me. Yeah. So I was actually going to start a real estate course now, January 8th, but I just postponed it because I got too much going on here. Mm -hmm. Here I am sitting on a podcast. (laughs) Well, and and the other cool thing with that is, you know, you have your tenant there, so you could leverage that property. You could get a a, a HELOC or you could do a loan against that property and wash, rinse, and repeat. So I'm almost, so I I guess part of the reason I wanted to go back to, to, or to go to real estate school was to learn more about that because part of me feels like, like that's your mentality, because obviously, yeah, there's equity, right? Let's say if I have two hundred grand right now that I could pull from that, yeah. But then part of me is like, no, I want to sit. Like, let's just leave that until that's paid off. But I, I get it, yeah, it makes sense because the more I wait trying to save money on this end for the next property, the more property values are just going up and up and up. And I could have had two or three increasing in value. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you know, you you can wait whatever it is 15 30 years to pay it off and yeah, you'll have a crazy amount of equity. But like what would happen if you pulled out the 200 now, got another one, got a tenant in it, did and you just wash rinse repeat. Now you have 10 properties. And then imagine that in 15 years. Right. And you didn't really use any of your money. It's it's the tenant's money, it's the the bank's money, it's not but it's not like Adrian's money. Yeah. Yeah, and there's interest, and you have to make sure you do it smart and right. Yeah. You want to, you know, buy at a time of, of you know when there's blood on the street and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I, man, pull that equity out. I mean, that's me. Yeah, I, I pull. No, no, no. It's out. cool. So again, the reason I have these pod, I get like maybe the most views I've had on one of these podcasts, is probably like 400 views, mm-hmm. and then between Spotify and YouTube, it's not that many. Right. But the value that I get from these conversations every time is right. either a life lesson, like right. things that just circle my mind. A lesson on real estate, a lesson on business, a lesson on relationships. So to me, this has become my little life hack that has so yeah. much value to me personally and to whoever listens might gain something from it. But uh, yeah, I, I'm probably going to take your advice and look at that a little bit closer and say, well, because in 2017, had I said, oh, I have some equity here. Let me pull it. Let me buy something else. Yeah. Just one more. Yeah. Right, it'd be it's crazy. How much have property values gone up in Miami from 2017 to 2023? I'm up in in value on both properties over 40 percent. Over 40 percent on real estate, right? And you're gaining equity. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm up 40 percent. Yeah, I I, there's a method. There's a there's a I, I don't remember it right now, and it's a shame. But 
there's a there's a form online. Cause you mentioned going back to school. But a lot of this stuff you can do online, like without having to go to the formal education. Mm-hmm. I'm not knocking it, but yeah, it's yeah. just the information's access accessible. Can't remember the name of the form. I'll have to get it for you. But it's called the Burr method. I think it's B U R R R or three R's. And it talks about like, you know, you buy, you rehab it. Then you keep it, you rent it, and then you pull out the equity and you repeat. It's exactly what we're talking about. Mm. And they get very in-depth on, you know, the pitfalls and what to avoid and, Mm. you know, what to do. And then, uh, you know, you got to be careful with what, hey, what requires permits, what doesn't, so that way you don't get caught up. And don't overextend yourself either. Don't overextend yourself. Yeah, because when you're using debt, it can, can, it's a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. You can acquire things much more quickly. And that's one of the benefits of this country because other countries, they don't like debt. What is that? No, either you have the money or you don't. Mm -hmm. But here you can leverage it, but just make sure that you don't over leverage and then a rainy day happen. And now you can't cover, you can't cover the spread. Yeah, you can't cover six properties. Right. (laughs) You're done. Right. The reason I wanted to go back to real estate school is more so when I make my next purchase to not have to give up that 3%. Oh, 3%. Yeah. Like, I mean, I every time I see how much I'm giving up, no offense to you realtors, but I just want to be able to do it on my own. Right. <laughs> it's not rocket science to me. Right. It's my money. It's like, I, why should I hand this over to you? Because you know how to fill out a contract and right. how to work with a title agency. Like, I want to keep that side, that that part of it uh, on my side. That's all. It's funny because I have I feel like I have a different mentality. What is it? Man, keep that 3%. Because yeah, because if if I'm focused on my core business, right, right, the permitting, if I blow that up, I don't I don't want to I don't want to call it a waste of time, but I don't the time that I invest becoming certified as a realtor to get that 3%, what if I were to dump that time back into what I've already got going on? It's 3 weeks. Oh, it's only three yeah. weeks. Yeah, okay. It's, yeah, it's three weeks. Okay. Man. Okay. That's fair. That's why. That's why. That's fair. If it's three weeks and I could really, yeah, and I have to avoid that multiple times, it's not going to be. I, I'm right. hoping, right? This is going to be multiple purchases sure. as I move forward. That's the only reason why I sure. feel like I'm leveraging three weeks for. Oh no, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like a four-year program or something. Mm-hmm. I was going to be like, pay that. I'm a big proponent of dive narrow and deep, stay in your field, blow it up as much as possible, and then get good experts around you and pay them what they're worth. That's exactly what I'm doing here. Because, you know, you might you might not. Like, one of the biggest problems I see in my business is I see a lot of developers coming in, or they call themselves developers, right? And they try to cut so many corners. And they're trying to stretch these margins and pinch and squeeze. And it's like, God, what a stressful, what a stressful life. Like, I don't I don't want your life at all. Mm-hmm. I, I look at you and I'm like, I would rather make half and be able to, chill and sleep good at night then make what you're making but it's like everything's a fire drill everything's a lot you're robbing peter to pay paul it's yeah. crazy no i don't want that i like i love quality of life yeah i mean we're both in the gym every day and right we spend a few hours in there we go to yeah. the cold plunge we go to the steam room like we enjoy ourselves of course um and that's the goal because we don't know how long we're going to be here right so i better i better enjoy my day to day yeah i come in here i work hard but i'm going to have right. the moments for myself um, just to to enjoy it. That's absolutely, all. Um, absolutely. No, I I think yeah. Then going to real estate school would be great. Um, and you you know you have a business, so you know about leveraging lines of credit and business loans. The SBA just actually came out with a new fast track loan. Hundred fifty. I actually 000. haven't pulled any credit for this. No, no. I I just was looking at a line of credit recently, just to to see what what I should do. 
actually educate me. So let's say if I pull a line of credit. Yeah. Um, God forbid. I mm-hmm. pull. Let's say I pull four hundred thousand dollars. Right. Uh, I can use that for anything. I can use it for payroll. I can use it to acquire property. I can use it for anything. It's my money. It's like a credit card. Yeah, and okay. they'll charge you whatever the interest rate is. They'll charge you, um, you know, on an annual basis. So, I think right now, like prime rate is around seven percent. They usually put a couple points on top. Yeah, I think it was bank. like it was like nine or ten percent from Chase. Yeah, so 10%, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Seven plus two points or three points. Um, you pull it out, $400,000. you are going to pay $40,000 in interest uh, annually, 10% a year. And yeah, you can use it for whatever. It's like it's like somebody gave you a loan. Say I go I got, I go bankrupt. Yeah. It, well, is it, you have to see if it's secured or unsecured. If it's secured, you you're when you're signing the documents, you're putting up collateral. Whatever that collateral could be, your business could be a house, could be whatever. Gotcha. Okay. If it's unsecured, then then they're just they're out, they're out of luck. Yeah, it's just growing a business again. So it, it goes back to why conversations are important, right? Right. Because you mentioned to me like pulling equity out of a house, and now you're talking to, uh, about lines of credit, and I'm. I'm realizing as we're talking that I have a lot of my dad's old school mentality where it's like, no, work, make money, and then reinvest to the business that yeah. way instead of this is the United States. In yeah. Colombia, you can't do this. Right. You, you have to pay cash. Right. Everything has to be bought outright, and that's it. You purchase a car. It's not a car loan. You purchase a home. Right. There's no mortgage. It's like, did you buy the house because you had the money and you handed it to somebody? Right. But this is the USA. Yeah. I just have to... Yeah, because if I want to grow, it, but it's more risk, more yeah. reward, but more risk also more potential for, for a downfall. So sure. I guess that's why it's like this tightrope, which way do I want to swing? Yeah, I, 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 like, I like the SBA loans a lot. Um, I don't know if you can necessarily leverage them to fix and flip properties, but just like working capital for your business, if you wanted to you know, blow up your marketing or whatever it might mm-hmm. be, they have great interest rates. They take a long time to close, um, but when you look at what you can make back, you know, in, in comparison to the, what they're giving you the money for, I mean, that's what it's designed for. What's the average SBA loan interest rate? Uh, More or less. They don't. They're they're like prime plus one per, percent. So I think right now they have a fast track loan and it's one hundred fifty thousand. They're not taking into account any of your other debt. If you have a credit score of six sixty or above, you qualify. There's a couple other qualifications too, but. Yeah, 8% for 150K, like you're not going to find that. That's awesome. From other places. And then, you know, if, just for example, like I know you mentioned you wanted to expand over Florida. What if you dumped 150K into your advertising? I mean, not all at once. Yeah, right? yeah, no. I understand. Strategically in phases, you know, you see, oh, wow, this ad is really just, it's hitting Tampa hard. We're getting a ton of conversions. Okay, I'm, I'm going to put $20,000 into that ad. Like mm-hmm. what would that do? It's, 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 it becomes a science. That's cool. You know? Or I, I really need to hire I really need to hire three more clinicians. Mm. You know, do you do you okay, well at, at you know the rate that my business is growing, it's gonna take X amount, but if I could get this loan, I can hire them now. Yeah. You'll make back that eight percent, no problem. Yeah, the main thing, at least in, in this business, the main thing is drawing the patient volume and then hiring. Yeah. But then it's a cat and mouse game because when you hire a clinician, it takes three months for them to get credentialed. Right. Right. To so to get approved by all these insurance companies. Right. So but but drawing the vol- drawing the volume, drawing the demand is always first. Right. Um, it's cool, man. It's, yeah. it's, this is a good conversation because it definitely makes, it gets my brain churning a little bit. But at the end of the day, that's why I think 
what I'm doing right now with, I mentioned earlier, I'm fixing the website, yeah. um, looking at SEO, making sure that we can measure all of these things mm -hmm. truly so we can really target the marketing. I'm just, I'm, I'm three and a half years into this game. And it's, right. so I, I feel like I'm at a point where this could, this could definitely just, we could grow exponentially or we could just stay and, and coast along. Right. I still want to grow. I mean, for sure, I want to grow. Yeah. And I'm enjoying I'm enjoying that day to day. I'm enjoying the conversations with the marketing team. I'm enjoying like, oh, what can we do here? Right. How can we target Naples? Naples is Hillsborough County has like no clinicians right now. How right. do I get in there? Hey, we've suddenly we have a market in Orlando. Should we have a small office space in Orlando? Because that way when people check uh psychiatry near me, we pop up. Right. Uh just different things like that where we're just trying to brainstorm and see how we can grow but right. would it be cool to have somebody who is like an a expert marketer from i don't know i name me cerebral right one of these major national brands for mental health right and hire some acquire somebody like that who comes in and says oh we can we'll rip this market no problem with right with much less uh much less revenue than what you're going to waste right now if you keep doing it this way right so cool it's cool jesse yeah thanks man i appreciate it anything Absolutely. else you want to impart on on the people before we go uh no i mean i just really appreciate the opportunity to be here yeah. you know kind of talk to you get to know you better yeah. get to share a little bit more uh i thought about the quote that you mentioned earlier that i told you i, I think what it was was and i got this quote. i'm not going to take credit for it yeah. but it's funny uh one of one of uh, my mentors at the time from philly he said Hey man, there's nothing unique about your story. It's just your turn. And that really hit me with like, hey, I got to take ownership of this and and not be afraid to reach out to people and gain wisdom. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of times, you know, we suffer in silence. Talk to people, man. Yeah. Talk to people, share, go, you know, see what you're going through cuz you never know what they might be able to help you with or what you might be able to help them with. Yes. So, yeah, just don't be don't be afraid to share. That's cool, man. Yeah, actually, when I invite, I invited you on here because I had thought about it before, right? And we had spoken about it last year at some point, just yeah. randomly. Um, but I had to find out how to run this myself because I just kept on going through people who were who were doing it. Now I just learned how to put it together myself. Um, but I was on the on the stairmaster, and I was like, "Hey, oh, you mentioned to me that you had the week off, so yeah. I was like, oh, you're not doing anything tomorrow? Yeah, let's go talk on the podcast.' Yeah." And the, again, the cool part about this is how often do you sit down? This is like a mandate for me. Right. All right. I just get to sit down and talk to a dude who I don't really know. I see him. We smile at each other every day. We say, what's up? We share, a we exchange some conversations, but right. there's not that time to really go how we just did. We, right. we go in a little bit more uh, just in depth about our life, our perceptions, how we develop those perceptions, what our struggles are, our vulnerabilities. Right. And that's how you build connection. Absolutely. And so every time I sit down with someone here, Damn, I just feel like we, the connection is just is is that much better because I just because I took the time to sit down with them. Right. And we're at a day and age where, if I invited you to go have coffee for a little while, we probably wouldn't sit down and have this conversation this long because we'll right. be looking at our phones or we'll be doing something else. So, this is this is my life hack right now, and I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna run with it. So, but thank you, Jesse Jesse Tar. Thank you so much for. Oh, and I'm gonna apologize to Kenzo. Because I called you Enzo earlier, and one day you're gonna hear this, and you're gonna be like, "That dude didn't even say my name right." So, Kenzo, thank you, man. Thank you for what you're imparting on your dad. Thank you for for just for coming into this world and and giving that that hope and that joy back to your father. Because uh, 
He's a good man. Thank you, Jesse. Appreciate you, bro. Thanks a lot. Hey. Pleasure. Thank you. That's a wrap. This was dope. A lot of fun. We didn't touch our sandwiches. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I didn't want to be chewing on.